Last week I told you that the series is called This Is Us, and we're using the hook of the television show This Is Us. I don't know how many of you watch the show. I watch the show. I'm a crybaby, so if you watch the show, you know I literally cry from the beginning to the end almost every episode. It is, it is a great show, as I say each and every week. We're not endorsing anything of uh, the moral aspect of the show. There's some things on the show that, of course, do not line up biblically like any show. But one of the things that is great about This Is Us is that it shows really the value of the father in the home. And I love that we still, there is still a show out there that talks about the impact of the father. And of course, you know his name is Jack. And uh, I'm, I told y'all that today, we're, this is really not even in the message, the series, This Is Us Yet. Uh, we are really just sort of vision casting these two parts. Starting next week is our Christmas celebrations and all these other kind of things that we got going on. The last Sunday of the month, this month, will be a standalone message where we will, we will declare blessings over our families, speak things over our lives and over this church. And then starting in January, uh, we will really get into the meat of this series. And, and for those that watch the show are going to love this, one of the first titles in January is going to be called, You Don't Know Jack. <laughs> only, one, only those that watch it will get that. Uh, but last week we talked about giving. That one of the things that is us is that we are givers. Somebody say we are givers. We call this month the season of giving. So, so we are givers, but we don't just give in December. And we don't just give in the tithe and offering. We believe that we are a church that gives of ourself. We give of our finances. We give of our time. And we understand that we have been called to be givers. It is not optional. Say this with me. It is not optional to be a giver and a believer. Listen, the Bible tells us, Jesus said, uh, for to whom much is given, much is required. Do you understand? There's something called a process of exchange. Give and it shall be given. Sow and you shall reap. This is all through Scripture. We are givers. Now, if you're a first-time guest with us today, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, I finally got the guts to go visit that church, and he's one of them money-hungry preachers. No, I'm not. For those, you can ask anybody around you, we don't talk and teach a lot about this, and I'm going to apologize for it. We don't beat people up about money, but every year, whether in November or December, we do take some time to take a couple of services to talk about giving. Why? Because it's important. How many knows if it's in the Bible, you need to know about it. And many times around this time of the year, people are thinking about giving. They're thinking about winding the year down. But, but also they're beginning to think about the new year. They're beginning to think about the new me, the, the, the new us. So we're going to say this is us. We need to find out what us and who us is. I don't care if it's proper grammar. We need to find out who us is. Huh? Somebody say amen. amen. So last week we said at SRC, we give. The first thing on your notes today is this. At SRC, we give our first. We don't just give, we give our first. Somebody shout our first. Now this, this is one of the few messages that you'll ever really hear me preach almost on a yearly basis. Because this is a subject 
that many churches will never touch. This is a, a subject that even churches that teach on the principle of giving will not even preach this. But one of the reasons why they don't even know anything about it. They don't even have a revelation of it. And this is the subject of first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. There is great confusion about what first fruits is in many places in the body of Christ. We're going to talk about it. But before we talk about first fruits, we need to talk about the issue, the underlying issue of why most people do not want their pastor preaching on things like this. And that is because they want their preacher preaching on everything else except money. They want, they want the preacher to tell them about joy and peace and happiness and love, maybe even salvation and healing and deliverance. Sometimes not that, but even really more than deliverance. In fact, I believe most people that are truly believers are receptive and excited of, about almost everything that a pastor can preach on until they get to the subject of money. And here's one of the reasons why, it's a couple of reasons why. One is because many preachers have taken advantage of that subject. And they have abused that subject. And they have turned it into, quite frankly, a get-rich scheme for themselves. They, they've turned it into, i got to preach this so that I can maintain my, uh, my lavish lifestyle. Can I tell you something? When I teach on it, I, you, you need to know this. I'm not saying this to get any uh, sympathy or whatever. I'm just telling you, man. I don't drive a Mercedes. I drive a 2005 pickup truck with a dent in the side of it with 196,000 miles on it. Okay? So, so I'm not preaching so that I can uh, get a new set of tires on my 05 pickup. This ain't got nothing to do with me. Remember what we just came out of the five-fold ministry? God has set me in this house to equip you. Are you hearing me? So this is for you. This is for you to understand this principle. Do you want to be blessed? Then you need to understand the principle of what I'm going to teach you today. Okay. You say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear about money. Well, here's another reason why people don't want to hear about money. It's because it is the biggest struggle that most people have. And it, quite frankly, it is one of the biggest guilt, guilts that people have. Do you know the Bible talks about debt? The Bible says you don't need to owe anybody anything. Now, it's not saying that you won't go into debt. I owe for my house and all this. Many of you have debt. I'm just saying that God was very being very intentional in saying that as long as you have debt in your life, you are a slave to that debt. Am I preaching right? And if your house is not in order because of the repercussions that will come on you if you do not meet the terms of that debt. You will lose the things that you love, lose the things that you need, whether it be shelter, whether it be transportation, or it might be some of the elaborate things that you bought that you didn't even, you couldn't afford to buy. You're trying to live above your means. Are you hearing me? But the reality is this. If your priorities are not right, you will put your debt, your utilities, your obligations before God. Am I preaching right? 
Here's the reality. Jesus never said, the Word of God never says in any instance that there is anything inherently evil in any way with money. There is nothing evil about money. God does not have a problem with you being rich. He don't have a problem with that. But he said you need to understand two things, two major things he talked about. He says, the love of money is the root of all evils. What Timothy said. The love of money. Somebody shout the love of money. Some of y'all, if I was to ask you if you love money, 99% of you would say, of course I don't love money. Let me understand, let you understand what that means. When you put monetary obligations before obedience to God, you love money. Are you hearing me? You love money. So, so I'm not calling you evil. I'm just saying that when you put obligations in the natural before obedience to God, whether you want to like it or say it, like what I'm saying or not, you are filtering all of your decisions then through the love of money, which is the root of all evil. You're filtering it through the root of all evil. Jesus also said these words. This is not in my notes. But Jesus said, in this world, are you in this world? In this world, you will serve one of two masters. Well, every time I've ever read that, I remember as a young preacher reading that, and it didn't make sense to me because I was looking it through the eyes of my religious upbringing. I thought, surely what you meant to say is you're going to serve either God or the devil. Because I mean, if you ain't serving God, you're serving the devil. I know you don't like to hear that. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, you're going to serve one of two masters. You will either serve God or you will serve money. Amen. Ain't that amazing? That 2,000 years ago, before anything was known as the stock market, before there was any millionaires and billionaires, before people were driving nice cars, before anything that we know now that we equate with wealth. In fact, he was probably speaking 99% of the people he was speaking to was probably living in a poor lifestyle. But yet God was speaking to poor people that we would equate as poor people and say, let me tell you something right now. You need to get this in your spirit. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. Many of them be like, I ain't got no money to serve. Come on, are y'all hearing me? But you understand this, don't you? Jesus wasn't just talking to them people. He was also talking to us. Don't you know that God knew his words were going to be recorded and thousands of years later he would be releasing principles of which a believer is supposed to walk by? Is this good preaching? You might be shocked to know this next thing on your note is a fact. Jesus talked more about money than he did about any other subject. He talked more about money than he did talk about heaven. He talked more about money than he talked about hell. He talked more about money and materialistic things than all other subjects combined. Because he knew this will be the biggest issue facing the obedience of my believers. Am I preaching right? 
He knew this one thing, money, would be the one thing that would bring strife into our lives. Would bring also blessings into our lives. Do you understand that it is consistently the case? When counselors reveal and studies have been taken and polls have been taken, the top two reasons that people divorce are always interchanged. It's either sex or money. But in most things that I have read, nine out of ten statistics that I have read, divorce statistics, always number one is money, and number two is sexual sin, sexual temptations, or sexual problems. Are you hearing me? So... We teach, we preach, and we equip how to protect our eyes, protect our ears, to make sure that we've not allow ourselves to be in an environment that would cause us to be tempted to, to cheat on our spouse or to look at pornography or to do things in the sexual world to make ourselves pure. But yet an even greater enemy of our families This is good preaching whether you like it or not. A greater enemy of the relationship between us and our children, our impact in our community, and our impact in our world is even above sexual sins. It is obviously apparent that it is money issues on some level. Now, I quoted that scripture, Matthew 6, 24, earlier about no man can serve two masters. I like to read it from the New Living Translation. Listen how the New Living Translation says it. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you know what the message version says? You can't serve God and the bank. Come on. You can't serve God and the bank. Some of y'all got the bank's portion automatically taken out of your check each week. Because you know, even though you call it your house, if somebody tells you, asks you, what's your address, man? I'm putting in my GPS. You will give them, watch this, your address to your house. And you think it's your house. But unless you've got something from the bank that says paid in full, Stop paying your payments on your house and watch the bank come to your house, knock down your door, and take your keys and kick you out of your house. You think it's your car? Stop paying the car payments and watch them come in the middle of the night and you hear a beeping noise and you go out to your window and there's a record backed up to your car. Taking your car, repossessing your car from your driveway in your house. And you call the police. Somebody's stealing my car. The guy's already called the police and gave them a heads up. And the policeman said, they ain't stealing your car because that ain't your car because you ain't paid the payments. Well, God's economy is different than the world's economy. Say this with me. God's economy is supernatural. If 
I pull up to the drive-thru at McDonald's and they tell me what my, my uh, combo meal is going to be, I give them the amount or a little bit above the amount or swipe my card and I pay for what they told me I was going to get and I get exactly what I ordered. Well, not most of the time. As soon as I said that, I was like, most of the time, I do not get what I ordered. Sorry if you work there. I'm sorry. And don't ask for an ice cream. That's all I'm going to say, because that machine never works. You ever heard this one? Sorry, sir, the ice cream machine is not working today. There's been times I want to go in there and say, I can fix it. I need an ice cream. They are trying to help me. Let me back up and say, when I go to Chick-fil-A, <laughs> and i tell you what, I saw this thing on the internet, it was so funny, I laughed because I was like, my God, that's true. Chick-fil-A is so awesome, y'all. It, you, you feel like you're, you're this has got to be, Chick-fil-A has got to be serving food in heaven. I mean, you just got to believe. That Truett Kathy is up there in heaven right now preparing the, the, the last supper, or maybe preparing the marriage supper of the lamb. It's act, that, that lamb, if we look it up, I believe somewhere in the Hebrew, that lamb must mean chicken. It's got to mean chicken. I'm serious. I'm kidding. All right, watch this. The one thing on the internet was so funny, it said, Chick-fil-A is the only drive through that I ever go through in my life that I don't check my bag when I pull off. Because they get it right so many times on the rare occasion that they didn't get it right, I just simply say, Lord, you knew what I needed. <laughs> but what's what I'm saying is this. The supernatural aspect of the economy is you don't get back exactly the value of what you gave. It leaves the natural when you put, when you mix it with obedience and when you sow it, whether it's in a church, whether it's in the, in the ministry, whether it's in somebody's life, when you give out of your heart with an obedient heart, something supernatural happens to that seed and it takes from the natural, moves into the supernatural and returns back to you in the natural. Are y'all getting me? See, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, if you cannot be faithful, and I don't have the scripture from, on my notes. This is, this is just for you. God's given me a word today. If you cannot be found faithful, this is the King James, in the unrighteous mammon. Do you know what mammon means? Money. If you cannot be, and it doesn't mean evil money, it means earthly if you cannot be faithful in the earthly income, whatever your income source is, this is what Jesus said, how then shall you be found to be a partaker of the true riches? That's in your Bible. Go back and study it and check me. I don't preach it unless I, can, unless I know it's in there. So, so if you cannot be found faithful in your earthly income, why do you keep asking me to bless you? Because that's not the way it works. 
the blessings, the true riches, are a result of being faithful. Watch how the supernatural works. If you're faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over much. That don't even make sense in our world. God said, I'll make you a ruler over things that you were never even faithful in. Because you were faithful in the few things that I asked you to be faithful in. In other words, you sowed. Some received 30 times. Some 60 times. I'm just preaching the Bible. Some 100 times. What does that mean? That means you sow a kernel of corn, you reap a corn field. To where now, not only, if you're faithful, can you go out there and get corn for your family, but now you can bless your neighbors. Your neighbors can come into your corn field and receive of the blessings. And then you have the opportunity to say, how, are you, how do you even have this? You have the opportunity to say, I didn't even do this, God did. Well, how did you get to this place? How in the world? There, you, you don't have the education to, to, to do this. You don't have your name. You don't have, you're not inherit, you don't have inheritance. How did you get so blessed? I was just faithful over what God asked me to be faithful over. Come on, come on, come on. Now, listen to this. Y'all know I love to go back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is, it, it is amazing to me that the very first thing that God instructed man was the principle of first fruits and giving. The very first sin that is recorded in Scripture is a sin that is related to first fruits. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Listen to what he says to, to man. He says, man, woman, I'm going to put you. The Bible says he planted a garden. See, we read right over that. Don't you know the Bible says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be the oceans. God said, let there be the air. Let God said, let the earth bring forth every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So when God spoke it into existence, right? Are you with me, church? But when it came time for the Garden of Eden, it is so interesting to me that he did not speak the Garden of Eden into existence. The Bible says, and the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. God taught us the principle by him, himself. I want you to get this image in your mind. This blows my mind. God, in his infinite power, just opened his mouth and spoke everything into existence. But before he put man in this beautiful creation, get this image. God, you can't plant in the ground standing up. He got down into the earth he created and took his, watch this, hand and opened up the dirt that he just created and took seeds where do you get these seeds 
He got these seeds from where he lives. In heaven. Because what did he plant? He, not only did he plant all the trees, but in the ground he planted the tree of life. He planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are not trees that you can go buy the seeds at Lowe's today. These are not natural trees. These are seeds, you've got to get this, that were planted from the original trees in heaven. Am I preaching good? The Bible says that, describes heaven, that there is a tree of life in heaven. The Bible describes that there is an ark of the covenant in heaven. There's a temple in heaven. In fact, when you study scripture, you'll find everything he instructed man to sow and to build. The reason he gave them specific dimensions is because all of them are scale models of what we will experience when we get to heaven. Are you hearing your pastor? So, if you want to grow an apple tree, you cut an apple open, you pull an apple seed out, or the core, and you plant it. Back in those days, before you could just go to the store and buy an apple tree. Come on, are you hearing me? So, and the Lord himself planted a garden. So, he planted everything in that garden. He made it rain, or not rain, he brought the, the, the mist up from the earth. He, he fertilized it. How many knows, if anybody knows how to fertilize the trees, it was Jesus. And once it got to where he wanted it to be, I don't know what the time took. It could have been instant. I don't know. But then the Bible said when the garden was ready, watch what happens. The Bible says, and then he placed man in the garden. In other words, he sowed man. He planted man. Why did he plant? Why does it not say, and he told him how to get there? He doesn't say that. He said, and he placed them there. Why? Because he understands the kingdom principle. Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. So in the natural realm, he knew that he was given dominion over to man. So when he sowed man, he had an expectancy to reap mankind. Are you hearing me? So I'm going to ask you a question. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden and gave it to them, what did he give them? Everything. Somebody say everything. Everything. Somebody say, he didn't give them everything. He didn't give them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are you sure? Have you read your Bible? He gave it to them. He said, you just can't eat from it. Come on. He didn't say you can't touch it. Eve said that. God didn't say that. In fact, it implies that they were supposed to touch it. Because they were, he was a gardener. He was supposed to prune the trees and take care of the trees. So it, it implies, and it makes it even more powerful of a temptation, quite frankly, to prune the most beautiful tree in the garden and you can't eat from it. Are you hearing me? So the first thing he told him was this. All of this I give you. That tree right there, I still want you to take care of it, just like you take care of that tree and that tree and that tree. But the only difference with that tree 
is you cannot eat from that tree because the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Here's why he said that. Because that tree belonged to God. It was God's way of saying, there is a percentage of what I bless you with that I need you to get in your spirit does not belong to you. The truth is, all of it belongs to me. But in my system, I am looking for obedience. I don't even need that percentage. I'm only doing this to see your obedience. Because God is moved by obedience and faith. He says, the day you eat it, you'll surely die. Well, watch this. They ate of the fruit. They didn't fall over dead, did they? They probably thought that's what it meant. They ate of the, of the tree, and what immediately happened? They knew naked, and they were ashamed. Because when they partook of what was not theirs, the glory that was on them, that gave them supernatural access to walk with Jehovah God himself, was removed. And they eventually died in the natural, but they died in the spirit at that moment. The the curse of death came on them when they took what didn't belong to them. So then we see fast forward. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, it shocks a lot of people to understand the very first command that God ever gave man was basically a type and shadow of tithes and offerings. And then isn't it interesting that when they got drove out of the garden that they said, watch this, after all the curses were spoken by God and all this, he said, as long as the earth remains, go back and read it. As long as the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest remains. Come on, are you hearing me? As long as the earth remains, how I built, how I planted this garden and what I just taught you will always remain. Old and new covenant. Because how many of those earth is still remaining? So you fast forward to Cain and Abel. And of course, you know the story of Cain and Abel, the brothers, and Cain kills Abel. Here's the difference. Here's why. The power of the first. Go back and read the scripture and see exactly what it says. The next thing in your notes is this. Cain brought an offering. Abel brought the firstborn. Cain brought an offering. Abel brought the firstborn. Well, how, how do you know that Cain didn't bring the firstborn? fruits of the ground that he tilled we know he didn't because the bible says it was in his heart in the matter of the heart in which he came you can't have a heart of jealousy and a heart of greed and entitlement the way cain had and bring an act of obedience in fact the bible declares that his countenance revealed his heart So he didn't bring the first. Abel brought the first. He didn't just bring a lamb. He brought the first. Somebody shout the first. See, you've got to get something in your spirit. God wants to bless you. Say this with me. God wants to bless me. Do you think God wants to curse you? Do you think God wants to withhold from you? Listen, if you think that you've been listening to the wrong preacher, God wants to bless you. God didn't die on the cross for your sins for you to live in sin. He didn't take stripes on his back for you to be sick. 
He didn't become the first fruits of our generation of the world and be planted into the ground for three days and come back from the dead and give you power to the re- of the resurrection for you not to be blessed. Hallelujah. He even said it in John 10, 10. I've come that you might have life and have it how? More abundantly. Quit blaming me for theft and stealing and destruction. He said, that's what the thief came for. The thief comes but for to kill and to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life more abundantly. Somebody say abundantly. abundantly. The Amplified Bible says it this way. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Hallelujah. I'm tired of Christians just making it. I'm tired of us just in a maintenance mode. God did not call us to be in a maintenance mode. He doesn't want you living a life where every single Sunday when you go home, all you think about is the dread that Monday is coming. There's a difference between home. God, it's Monday. And oh, God, it's Monday. (laughs) See, what is the problem that we have, church? What is the problem? Here's the problem. The next thing you notice is we, some of y'all think you just ain't got enough. Watch this. You don't have a, ain't got enough problem. We don't have a provision problem. We have a revelation problem. Oh, I'm going to say it again. We don't have a provision problem. We have a revelation problem. Well, you don't know my situation. I really don't have enough. You need to get a revelation. It ain't based on what you got. It ain't based on what you got. It's based on who you are. Get this in your spirit. Get this deep within your spirit. This is God's contract with us. Hmm? I'm telling you, God has laid out a promise and a contract with us. Uh, It's called a covenant. Huh? We call it testament. But the truth is, it's really not called a new testament. It's called a new covenant. A contract. It's an old contract and a new contract. Hebrews says, you got a better contract. How many of sometimes you just got sometimes you you own the, you know you think about football right now big time in football one of the things that happens at this time is people either get their contract bought out or they renegotiate the contract they get an extension on the contract get more money come on somebody and it, you know it's contract but watch this whatever the world has what God offers is so much better than what the world has. God says, I've entered into a contract with you, not written in blue or black ink, but written in the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus said, greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. Jesus said, these things shall you do that you see me doing, but greater shall you do if I go to my Father. Maybe the problem is not that we're really doing something wrong. Listen to me. As much as it is that maybe we're not doing enough things right. I think I need to say that again. 
Maybe it's not that we're doing something wrong as much as it is that we're not doing enough things right. And I'm not saying earn anything. Don't twist my words. I'm not talking about earning the blessings. I'm not talking about earning salvation. But sometimes we need a revelation to understand a further level of obedience. If you don't know how to be obedient, because no one ever showed you what that looks like, then you don't know how to do it. So if your pastor doesn't ever take the time every once in a while not to beat you up, I hope you don't feel built up, beat up today, but built up. Are you receiving this today? I'm not trying to put judgment on you. I'm trying to help you. So I'm trying to give you a revelation that you don't have a provision problem. It is not based on what you're making an hour right now. You don't need somebody else, although it'd be a blessing to get a raise. Come on, Jesus. We just declared it, better jobs, raises, and bonuses. But here's the reality. God said it's time for us to be faithful with what we got now. Instead of waiting for somebody else to bless us a little to another level so then we can be obedient. God says, I need you to be faithful with what you got now. Think about the woman that he sat in the temple watching. And she, bring, she brought two mites. Remember that? That's less than two pennies. We preach it two pennies. It's less than two pennies. And then the priest came in who was rich. And he gave a ton of money. Went out bragging about all this stuff. And this poor widow, the Bible says, came in and gave two mites. And people were mocking her and making fun of her. Because what she gave could not even be in the shadow of what the religious man gave. But Jesus said, listen to me. That woman. Somebody said that woman. That woman went home more blessed than anybody in the temple. Because she did not give out of her overflow. She gave all that she had. In other words, God's not telling you to give all that you got, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying she must have been in a place where she said, you know what, God? I don't have much to give, but I need such a miracle to happen in my life. I'm just going to give you everything I got. And God said, what's this? She is... Her story is recorded in Scripture because her act of obedience so moved Jesus that he made the decision to make sure the writers of the gospel recorded that woman's story. Had, no, had nothing to do with the two mites. Had everything to do with the matter of the heart. See, many people believe that first fruits is the tithe. But it is not the tithe. In fact, the next thing in your notes is this, and I'm, I'm hurrying up. First fruits, tithes, and offerings. We're going to leave that up on the screen so you have time to fill that in. First fruits, tithes, and offerings are three distinct acts of obedience. Three distinct acts of obedience. Notice I didn't say three bills to pay. Three distinct acts of obedience. Watch this. Even though they're not suggestions, they are commands. I want you to understand that God is not going to make you to do any, to do any of them. Because anytime you are made to do something, you are not being obedient. 
Now, some of y'all be like, well, when I get through with the belt on my boy or my girl or whatever, and then they do it, they're being obedient. No, they ain't being obedient. They just don't want to get hit with the belt again. Huh? They may learn a lesson, but the truth is true obedience is a matter of the heart. You choose to do that not out of fear of punishment if you don't, but out of your desire to do this because you love the person or or you believe in what you're giving or serving. Look at what Nehemiah chapter 12 verse 44 says. At the same time, some were, this is talking about the house of God. Some were appointed over the rooms. Do you see that? Everybody say rooms. Over the rooms of the storehouse. Now we know the rooms of the storehouse is the church. We know that Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, the big tithing scripture, bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse that there might be meat in whose house? My house is what he says. So we understand the storehouse is the house of God. Are you with me, church? At the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse. Look at the different rooms. For the offerings, for the first fruits, and the tithes. Three separate rooms in the house of God that received one room received offerings, one room received first fruits, One room received the tithes. Church, are you out there? To gather into them from the fields of the cities, the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. In other words, they were excited to take care of, of God's house and the people in God's house, but they understood it's called a storehouse for a reason. It wasn't just to take care of the Levites. It was so that the storehouse could do in the community what the storehouse was supposed to be able to do. Do you understand that it was never God's plan for the government to take care of the poor? It was supposed to be the church. The church is supposed to be the ones that take care of all the needs in the community. But it's hard for, for the church to take care of the needs of the community when less than 5% on a good day give anything. And 95% in the house is receiving the benefits of it. And then many of those 95% are getting mad because their church don't do enough in the community. So what are the differences between the tithe, the offerings, and the first fruits? I'm going to go very fast. Number one, simply the tithe equals 10%. In fact, the word tithe means tenth. That's all it means. It's not, it's not some spectacular, deep word. The deep Hebrew definition of tithe is ten. Ten. I've said it many times before. Some people believe it just means what you give in the offering is your tithe. No, tithe means ten. I've said it before, those envelopes are in those little slots in front of you, those tithing envelopes. They are, they, they are not magical. We didn't sprinkle dust over them, Holy Ghost dust over them, so that if you, fa- if you take 5% and put them in the offering, uh, the tithing envelope, and write your amount in the tithe and put your name in there and drop it in the bucket, the magical tithing dust doesn't turn your 5% into 10. We don't know if it's not 10. It's not up to us. You do. 
So you can't make five make be ten. So say it with me. Tithe is ten percent. The next thing on your notes is this. The offering is the seed above the tithe. The offering is the seed above the tithe. Now, why do you need to understand the difference between tithe and offering? Because if all you ever do is plant seed, in other words, drop a $5 bill or a dollar bill in the offering, I appreciate it, God appreciates it, and praise God. You're planting seeds. You're saying, my, 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 I'm planting seeds. Here's the problem with that. If you're not a tither, here's the problem with that. The Bible says the tithe and the offerings open up the windows of heaven. Are y'all hearing me? And pour, go study that word pour in Malachi, it means rain. And rain and pour on you blessings that there's not room enough to receive. In other words, if you're not a tither, you're planting seed in the ground that never gets rain. And you wonder why you're not getting a harvest. You have to have rain for the seed to grow. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me, church. So the tithe makes sure that you're under an open heaven so that when you sow the seed, you know you've done your part. The Lord is bringing the rain and the harvest is coming. So thankful for the seed, but make sure, a tithe, make sure you're a tither so the seed gets rain. And then the last thing, and it's 1133 if you're taking medicine. Ain't that weird that I'm almost through my sermon and it's 1133? I, that don't mean I'm through. I said I'm almost through. Are y'all enjoying one service today? The next thing of the, of the three is this, the first fruits. First fruits is the first whole of something. First fruits is the first whole of something. Not 10%, all of it. The first whole of something. What's this? Romans chapter 11 verse 16 says this. For the first fruit is holy. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Mm. I'm talking about that's a Selah moment right there. If the lump, if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, the tree is holy. How many of us, before there's ever a tree, there's a root system? The first thing that happens to a seed is it begins to divide and begins to go out and make these little strands which become the roots. So there's growth happening beneath the ground before you ever see something go up. And it keeps going up, keeps going up, keeps going up, and everybody sees the tree. And they're enamored by the tree. But what they forget is before any of that was ever even visible, there was the roots. In fact, you can cut a tree down. Many of you have done this before in your yard. Take your chainsaw and cut it as close to the ground as you possibly can. If it's a pretty healthy tree, when you cut it down? It looks clean and all that's cut and all that. But if you don't deal with that stump, how many knows there's still a root base down there? Next thing you know, sometimes depending on the tree, by the end of the same season, 
you'll already see life trying to come back. Because even though you can't, the tree looks like it's gone, the root is still there. And if the root is there, then anything that comes out of it has still got life. So what Paul is trying to talk about the first fruits, he says, keep, this is an illustration in your mind. Let's say I had a table up here and I had three different plates. One year I'm actually going to do this. Every year I say I'm going to do this and I forget to do it every time because it would be a great illustration. Try to imagine this. Three plates on a table with dough to make bread, piles about this big on each of the three plates. Okay, three piles of dough, lumps of dough, if you will. And on this first one is a much smaller lump, probably about that big, okay? The others are this big. How many knows that if I take that first lump that's small compared to the other two, if I take it and I knead it in to the second lump and do that with that second lump, Remember, I took the first small one, put it into the bigger lump, spent some time moving it and twisting it and pushing it, then took that lump and put it into the third lump, done the same thing. How many knows it would be virtually impossible to go inside of that lump and find the original lump? Are you hearing me? You can't separate it. It's just like at these wedding ceremonies where you see people do that sand ceremony. Where the, the bride and the groom take the sand, each different sand, they pour it together in the same thing. And then they pour another sand in there representing God. And then they mix it up and shake it up. Why do they do that? It's symbolic of even if you wanted to go in there and separate the man's sand from, from the woman's sand and the God's sand, you can't separate it anymore. It's now one sand. So God is illustrating, Paul is illustrating that when you take care of the first, it moves into the rest. So the root or the base lump, if it is done the right way, it affects all that comes with it afterwards. Are y'all with me, Jerry? How many believes that 10%, the Bible says that tithe, 10% is holy unto God? If you believe that, say amen. It says it in Scripture. If you don't believe it, too bad, you're wrong. It says it in Scripture. It is holy, it is mine, and in fact, it even goes on to say, will a man rob God? How have you robbed me? You've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. Has anybody ever heard of a guy named Bishop Clint Brown? Used to be the worship leader for uh, Rob Parsley. He's become a spiritual father in my life. I talk to him almost every Saturday. And I talked to him this morning for about 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes on the phone. Felt like that. Maybe a little bit less. He called me and asked, he texted me and asked me what I was preaching today. I told him. He called me. So we started talking about this. He, he laid something on me this morning so powerful. He said, I'm going to ask you a question. You know that scripture that says, can a man rob God? I said, yes, sir. He said, what does it say after that? I said, they said, how have we robbed you, God? And what, he said, what did God say? He said, God said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. He said, let me ask you a question. How many, how many of those, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how long you've been preaching, if you cease to be teachable, you cease to be reachable. My heart is open, man. I've asked for God to bring men and women in my life to speak into my life to teach me things. So I was like a little boy, a little kid writing down things, taking notes from this man of God. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you think God is all-powerful? I said, yes, sir. 
Is he omnipresent? Yes, sir. Does he have everything? Yes, sir. Do you think you could really ever rob God? I got quiet just like y'all did. Because preachers like myself all my life have said, oh, yeah, we can rob God. We rob God when we rob God. He said, no, 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 no. He said, listen to this. You've got to understand the principle of tithing. He said, it is in the nature of God to bless you. He does not want to curse you. He wants to bless you. He said, the only way you could ever rob God is to take from him the opportunity to bless you. He said, you robbed him. Not of the 10%. You robbed him of what he wants to do in your life. I was like, brother, I'm going to preach that today. And I'm going to give you credit today. But the next time is mine. Is that powerful? The tithe is holy. So many people are living their life thinking, well, I'm paying my tithes, so therefore 10% of everything that comes in my life is holy. That's good. But how many knows Jesus called the other 90% unrighteous mammon? So when this revelation came to us when we was in the barn, we started preaching this every year in the hay barn. When this revelation came to us, it blew my mind because I realized what it was trying to teach me. Is that the 90% that is left over after tithe throughout the year, every single time I earn an income, every single time I make a sale, every single time something happens to my life. God says 90% of that portion of it is an offering, but let's just for the sake of argument, let's do the 10% tithe. 90% is ours. Basically, what we're saying is 10% of our income is blessed and holy and 90% of it is cursed and we're trying to find a way to live with, with, with the ble- live a blessed life with 90% of unrighteous mammon that don't, don't have the same blessing on it as the 10% does. Does that make sense what I'm saying? But Paul is saying, when you partake in first fruits and you give the first full of anything, doesn't just mean your check, the first increase of anything. It could be the first sale that you make. It could be your first check. It could be your, some people do a first day's wages. Some people do a first week's wages. We've even had some people do a first month's wages. It doesn't specify, but it says the first whole of something. He says, when you understand the principle of first fruits and you're already a giver in tithe and offering, then you understand if the first is holy, then the lump is holy. Oh, you're going to get it in a minute. If the root of the year is holy, the rest of the year is holy. So I begin to realize, God, you don't want me and my family living 12 months a year on 10% of holiness on my income. You want 100% of it to be holy and blessed. But yet you've only called 10% holy and blessed. But God says, when you are a partaker of first fruits, that first makes all the rest holy. That doesn't exempt the 10% because that belongs to God. But God says, even the unrighteous mammon that is left over, 
has an additional supernatural blessing attached to it because the first lump was holy. Therefore, everything 100% that comes after it is as holy as the ten. That is a life that is on another level. There are people in this room right now that if they was to, if I was to give them the mic and tell them to stand up and give a testimony of first fruits, it would blow your mind. Of what people, let's just do this. If you have ever, this is not hype. I want you to show this to people. If you have ever brought a first fruits offering in January of a year in the history of this church and saw what you declared and believed God for, an absolute miracle as a result of that first fruit, stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet. I want you to see these people. I want you to see these people. This is not to make sure that they're better than you. I'm just trying to tell you. These people are standing because they are testifying to the power of what I'm talking about today. It is not an amount because every single one of these amounts are different. Every single one of these di- needs are different. You say, what, are they, what did they believe God? I imagine you think they're believing for cars and houses. Let me tell you something. The majority of people that bring their first fruits in January of the year to this church, they're praying for their loved ones. They're praying for healing. They're praying for God to touch their marriage. They're praying for their children and their grandchildren to get saved. But they believed in the power, y'all can be seated, of first fruits. Are y'all still alive? You going to make it? You've been in a two-hour service in a long time. It's 1144. The official time is 10 to 12 now. Y'all know one of the reasons that I did this so I could preach longer. Y'all knew it, didn't you? Huh? Are y'all still awake? Huh? See, now y'all get to go eat with the regular church people. No! No! Somebody say this with their mouth. Jesus, I declare everything that comes in my family, every increase is 100% blessed. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says this about the first fruit. Do you, let me tell you something. This is the favor of God. Jesus himself was called the first fruits of all creation. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If the first is holy, the lump is holy. If the root is holy, the tree is holy. We are the tree. We are only have an opportunity to be holy because we are tied to the root. Jesus is the root of the tree. But he couldn't grow the tree called the body of Christ until he was planted in the ground. He became a seed. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord, watch this, with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Notice. Notice that it says with your possessions and your increase. The 10% is not yours. So when you tithe, that is not you honoring the Lord with your possessions because that's not yours. God said it is mine. You keep it from me, you're robbing me. But watch this. 
So the only way we can ever honor the Lord with our possessions and with our the first fruits of our increase is we have to honor Him above that which He determines to be His. Now, this is my last point here. The tithe and the offering are not just in the Old Testament. They're in the New Testament as well. It's not an Old Testament principle. It's an Old Testament principle that was instituted. But think about this. Some people call it a part of the law. You ever heard anybody say that? I'm not under the law anymore, so I don't have to tithe. First of all, get, get past saying, I have to tithe. I don't have to tithe. You put that, you have to pay your power bill. No, that's not the same thing. You ever heard of Abraham? The Bible says in, in the whole entire event that it records in the Old Testament is also retold in Hebrews. He says, Abraham tithed. He won a battle and tithed 10% because you can't make that word mean any other thing than 10%. He tithed of all his increase to the priest named Melchizedek. Are y'all hearing me, church? Study Melchizedek. Melchizedek was one of the most unusual and strange characters of all the Old Testament. For you read, if you read the Bible, you know that any major character, you, at the very least, you'll say, you'll see, it would say Melchizedek, son of. And many of them, it will show the lineage. But the Bible says there's no record of a father or even a mother. Now watch this. He was of, this was pre-law. So there was no Levites. There was no Levitical priesthood. There was no temple. But yet in the nature of man, with no requirement, God not telling anyone to do it, it was just in them, spilled over from the garden. It was a principle of humanity that Abraham, the father of faith, knew. I can't just keep this blessing to myself. So he sowed into this priest called Melchizedek. It's the only time we read about it. Until the Word of God says in the New Testament, Jesus, oh, somebody say his name. <laughs> Woo! Jesus is our priest, watch this, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the law, but Jesus is our priest that was in place before the law of tithing was ever even put on paper. So he said, so if the father of the faith tied to Melchizedek, tithed to Melchizedek, and Jesus is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How in the world, and we got a better covenant, a better access to Jesus, to the priest. Where did we find a way to exempt ourselves? The last thing on this is this. Many have asked who Melchizedek was. I believe Melchizedek, this is my opinion, Gospel according to Larry, was what they call an epiphany or, or Christophany, excuse me, where Jesus, the Word of God, just like the fourth man in the fiery furnace, 
How many did we throw in there? Three. Well, there's a fourth one like unto the Son of Man. Who was that? That wasn't an angel. That was God. I believe that it was God, the angel of the Lord. That's all through the Old Testament. That Melchizedek in the Old Testament was foreshadowing his role as our priest sitting at the right hand of God. So God was saying, before the law was ever instituted, this was a part of the nature of man. I put it in the law and I continued it beyond the law. Because Jesus is forever after the order of Melchizedek. The next thing on your notes is this. What you do with the first will affect the rest. What you do with the first will affect the rest. What you do with the first will affect the rest. Now, what is this, Pastor? What is this thing called first fruits? I've just been coming to this church for less than a year. What do you mean? Well, this is something that we've been doing now for probably, I don't know how many years. Before we ever went to the rock school in the hay barn. Every single year we do this. The first month of January is what we call first fruits. Because back then the first fruits was the first of the harvest. When harvest time would come, it would be harvest time. That's when you do first fruits. We don't all go out in the fields anymore and harvest and come back with the, with the first fruits of the harvest. So therefore our harvest is our income. is what we make on our job because that's what their harvest was. They traded with, with uh, food and things like that, animals. Now it's a paycheck. So what we say is pray about it. Pray about it. Tithe and offerings are not a suggestion. They are expected of the believer. First fruits at least appears and implies to be optional. I don't believe tithing and giving of offering is optional to the believer. I, I, believe, I don't believe it's optional. I believe as a believer, that's, that's the minimum. First fruits seems to imply to be optional. So until I ever see that it doesn't appear to be optional, I'll always say that. I'm going to take the burden off of you. I'm never going to say tithing and offering is optional. So I don't believe that's biblical. But first fruits is, in my opinion. So that means is this. You need to pray about it if God is telling you to do it this year. What am I supposed to give? That's also something you pray about. Depending on your... Your income. I remember one year, I don't remember all the details of it, but there's a lady in our church had lost her job. She had been out of work. She didn't have hardly any money left. She was about to go under. Her benefits was running out. No way to pay the bills. And it was first fruits time. I remember her standing before me and Sandy saying, This is literally everything I have. It makes no sense because I have nothing beyond this moment. But I'm going to sow my first into God of this year, what I got left. God blessed and blew her mind and honored her, took care of her, gave her a job, but took care of her even before then and testified for years. When I had nothing left to do, I gave all that I had and God blessed. That's not to put pressure on you. That's not to put not to try to hype you up, but I'm telling you, this is real. This is what we do. We just simply take, only for the month of January, we do this. There's a set-aside time in every service. How many Sundays we got? Four, I don't know if it's four or five in January, I can't remember. But every Sunday in January, 
after our regular tithing offering, Sandy and myself and the elders of the church will be spread out all across the front. And we take the time for anyone that feels led to bring their first fruits of the year to come down and stand before of us, before us with that envelope in their hand. And we don't just drop it in a bucket. We look at you and we say, what is the one thing above all things that you are believing God to happen in your life and for you in this year? What can we stand in agreement with and put this in the ground as a first fruit and believe that you're going to receive a harvest from that first fruit in this year? And every year it's things like, I've got a diagnosis. Nobody knows yet. I could be dying. My son is addicted to crack cocaine or meth. My marriage is over. Without God, it's over. Pastor, will you help me? I'm about to lose my house. They're coming. They've got one more month and they're going to kick us out. I'll be homeless. Those are the kind of things we hear. And I'm telling you, within a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, I start getting messages. Pastor, you're not going to believe what happened. I start looking at the back of the connect cards. Pastor, you're not going to believe what just happened. It's amazing. Let me tell you about this phone call. How my life changed. Why do you think that happened? I believe with all my heart it happened because I first fruit. And I declared it. I spoke that over my year. The first is holy. The lump is holy. Sometimes it's six months into the year. One particular couple. It was towards the end of the year. They were believing God to have a child. At the end of the year. Against all the experts' words. They found out they were having a child. And they had sold. We want to have a baby powerful so you pray about it it may feel uncomfortable to hear all of this today it's not to put judgment on you it's not to beat you up it's not to make you go home and feel guilty it's to challenge your mind remember we don't have a provision problem we have a what kind of problem revelation problem so let this be a revelation to you let your faith grow and stretch so what what is it it may be if your faith is not at the level for the first day's wage it might be one hour you might simply say this is what I make an hour my first hour of 2019 that I anticipate this is what I'll make one hour that's all if that's where your faith is bring that one hour and say you know what God I give you my first hour of all the hours that is coming in 2019 my first hour belongs to you are you hearing me Whatever it is, stretch your faith. Because what God has got planned for us to do, we all need to go to the next level. Stand to your feet. Come on all over this house. Praise God. Hallelujah.